Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Kate Walker, who is a business owner and leadership who specializes in HR. Welcome, Kate. Hi, Lindsay. Good to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. So we're all about the why. So what is your why? Why do you do what you do? That is an amazing question to kick off with. Why? At this point in my career, I think I've always been service oriented, but at this point in my career, my why is taking all of my knowledge, all of my wisdom, all of my learnings, all of the things in my career I've seen behind the curtain, you know, in the C-suite behind closed doors, taking all of that information and sharing it with people, letting them the answers to their questions or burning questions. Why does this happen? How do I how do I get this result in in a job? So I probably have those answers. So those are things I want to share. I want to help people by way of now my wisdom, my experience, my learnings, and mm-hmm. and my my mistakes as well. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about you know owning your mistakes and learning from them, and why <laughs> mistakes are important now now that we're on the topic. Yes. Well, it's interesting, and I write a little bit about this in my book, which I know we'll talk about later. But I grew up playing competitive tennis. And when you're a tennis player or maybe any athlete for that matter, it's all about winning. You got to win. And if you lose, that's not a good thing. Losing is bad. Or at least that's what I grew to understand is losing was bad. I didn't like to lose. I like to win. So I, I put myself for, you know, the early parts of my career in places where I probably wouldn't get much feedback because I didn't want it because I just wanted to, you know, kind of stay my course and feel safe in my own ways that I was winning. And as I got into my career, I I began to learn that I could get better at my career with feedback. So that was a big learning for me and understanding that other people were, were smarter than me, were more experienced than me, and I should probably learn from them and tap into that. So I, it took me a long time to understand that failure is okay. It's not yeah. a bad thing. It's not a bad word. And we can learn from our failures. In fact, this is something I've been getting more experience in lately and being a business owner is failure gives us clues to mm-hmm. point us in, an, in another direction. Failure or feedback can give us clues. It's like, hey, let's shift a little bit and, and do this instead. So this has been a journey for me. And I'm, I'm in a place now where I'm much more open to the feedback and to um, to advice and 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 failure, so that I can learn from it and and get stronger. That's awesome. And so one thing um, I also noticed is that you said service oriented, and that has yes. been a trend on this podcast. I noticed that a lot of guests, um, you know, they they view their careers as an act of service. So explain, um, you know, how your perspective of service is. Well, as you know, I've been working in human resources now for two decades. And in getting into that career, it's all about service because you've got people coming over, many people coming over to the HR department. If you're not coming to the HR department, you should. And that's another tip is that we have a lot of insider information to give. But um, yeah, coming to HR and we're servicing people, we're helping people. And people coming to HR have small questions or have really large life impacting questions. We're talking about their career. We're talking about their life. We're talking about their compensation. We're talking about maybe they're taking a job with the company and they've got to move cross country. It's, it's, I mean, the, the questions that come into an HR department are endless and I loved it. I really loved when someone felt 
like they had been successfully helped or the family got the information that they needed or they got some information or advice that would help them in their career. It just lit me up. It was very satisfying. And I never envisioned a career in human resources. Like I didn't even know what that was until I came into a temp job in the HR department. I did not even remotely know what it was. And when I came into it, actually, when I took this first temp job, I thought, well, this sounds like a horrible place to be, HR, human resources. But I, when I got into this temp job, I thought, whoa, this is really, really interesting. And I liked how on the HR team, you were interacting with all the different people at the company. You weren't just kind of not isolated, but maybe, you know, just with the team and, and a little more kind of off to the side. So I really liked how it was working cross-functionally with many teams, many departments, many people and helping them. And that just, I felt like when I stumbled into this temp job, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm on something. Now I just want to get into an industry that feels more creative for me. I like creative industry. So if I can match creative industry with helping people, that's going to be a really fun formula for me. So that's, that was my, that's been my path, my career path to being in service. Yeah. Wow. Another trend I've noticed on the show is that a lot of guests fall into HR on accident. They don't really (laughs) that out. Um, And I have a theory that I want to run by you. Um, I think it's because there is a cultural stigma for the the industry as as itself and then once yeah. you get get a little bit of the foot in the door you find out it's you know there's not it's not like that at all yeah uh, so what are yeah. your thoughts that's a really amazing question and as i just mentioned i even when i got into human resources i thought well this i don't know about this this doesn't sound this sounds really like a horrible place to be but i think there are a lot of different de- dependent factors i think it depends on who the leadership is on the team or who you're working with, because I think that a really incredible leader can just, and I've worked with really incredible leaders on my path. I've been very fortunate who have taught me and inspired me and trained me. And I think that once you get into human resources, you learn that there are many different important functional areas. You've got, you know, compensation specialists, which is so important or recruiters, which is so important. The area that I typically fell into in my career was, was human resources, business partner, And as a business partner, you're very, very customer service oriented. You're really out on the front lines with leaders and teams and you're helping them, you're collaborating with them. So I I found many areas of human resources to be very juicy and exciting. And I, when I run into people who are in college and pursuing a human resources path, I think, oh my gosh, really? That's cool. Or people that are going out to get additional education and human resources. So I'm lit up when people want to go and pursue it um, proactively versus kind of falling into it. So mm-hmm. I think that it's, I, I feel like the industry is shifting a, a little bit and that you do see HR as a partner. And I think that that's so important. I know I want to be seen as a partner when I'm in this work. I don't want to be seen as the HR police. Yeah. I think you and I talked about in an earlier conversation. That's, that's not how I want to operate. So I know when I'm in an HR culture, I'm on an HR team, in an HR division, I really want the vision for that work to be partnership and not 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 the sheriff, not the HR yeah. sheriff. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I know that um, you've seen success with initiatives, and that is something that you really encourage your, your clients to implement. So can we talk a little yeah. bit about um, successful initiatives in your career? Yes, absolutely. Do you want me to just share a few? Yeah, whatever comes to mind. I think that um, 
some of my most fruitful, I guess, engagements are really in working with teams. I, I, I think that there's so much good work to be done with leaders and their teams. And I've done a lot of that work, different team engagement type of work. And I, I think that I think when teams can get together and have a bit of an open discussion platform, that can be very powerful. And I've done different, different um, uh, exercises with different teams about, for example, um, a SWOT analysis, Mm -hmm. strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, where we might have an issue at hand. We, we put the topic up on a board, either in person or virtually, and go around the room and talk about what are the strengths here? What are the threats? What are the opportunities? I think it's so powerful to get everybody's feedback and perspective because people like to share their perspective. People like to be involved in mm-hmm. these kinds of conversations, and then they can also be part of the solution. Yeah, I think that these different kinds of engagements show themes emerging themes, what's on people's minds. And I think when you take, when you take themes or some things that you can act on immediately, like, Oh, these are things that we can fix right away. Okay. These are easy fixes. Okay. These fixes are, are possible, but might take a little bit longer due to bandwidth or resources or money. So it just reveals so much when a team gets together to have these kinds of conversations. So that is the type of work that I really love because it is like tangible, impactful, actionable work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to make the time to do it. I, and I know leaders, mm-hmm. I work with a lot of leaders. It's like, that's a great idea. I love the concept. I'm a little busy, maybe in six months. So uh, there's certainly no time like the present to get into these kinds of conversations. But certainly, you know, even in the future is is a good time. Anytime is a good time to have team teamwork. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, people like sharing their perspectives. And I know that engagement surveys give them a lot of opportunity to share that perspective yes. and you had success with. Tell me a little bit about that. That's another tool that I really, really am very fond of are engagement surveys, company-wide engagement surveys, which can also be called pulse checks, mm-hmm. where we're really getting a temperature for the company, their thoughts on how's leadership going, how's your personal development or your professional development going. What are your thoughts on the benefits? So there's a wide variety of questions that we can ask in an engagement survey where we can get back the quantitative data. We can get, you know, 75% of the company feels this way or, or whatever, as well as um, qualitative data. I love qualitative data because that's mm-hmm. really like the rich data where people share their perspectives and points yeah. of view. And I've worked at companies where the engagement survey has been taken very seriously. I, I think if you issue an engagement survey, you do have to have buy-in from the top. Uh, because because if the leadership is not bought into the survey and working with the survey results, that's going to you're going to lose trust in the employees who have taken their time to answer the survey, provide mm-hmm. thoughtful responses on the survey, and if they don't hear anything afterwards, like whatever happened in the survey, why did I bother spending yeah. 20 minutes on that survey? So I think you really have to have leadership buy into a survey. But if you do, and if you have a good team helping facilitate the results, going out and having focus groups and really diving into you know, if the topic is benefits, a benefits focus group, it's like, hey, we're hearing that um, only 50% of you are satisfied with the benefits. Why? Help us understand. What are we missing? What aren't we doing? What can we be doing better? What's the benefit that you want that we don't have? So it's just another way, again, to solicit feedback and solicit points of view that the company can enact if appropriate and make it a better, stronger place to work. And I have seen engagement survey work like transform uh, a company. And and this is such an easy um, example, but it took kind of dedication and diligence. But 
I was in an engagement survey feedback session, and it was determined that communication, it sounds simple, communication could be better. So what this group decided to do was refresh an all division meeting. We, we'd have an all division meeting maybe once a month and the all division meetings were, were completely boring. <laughs> I used to attend them. It's like, oh, when is, this, when is this meeting over? So we knew it was a great chance to get this division together, getting everyone together one time, one place. But we knew we had to switch the agenda. We knew we had to, we knew we had to give the agenda more, more um, meaning and more power. And over the course of about a year and changing the agenda, tweaking the agenda, giving people a chance to come in and present, giving different people from the division a chance to present and come in and share ideas or share thoughts or share project updates. Those meetings went from being dreaded, like, oh my God, we got to go to the all division meeting, uh, to when's the next one? Can we do it twice a month? So um, it, we, you, and this is from engagement survey feedback. Oh. So we took and we, we, we built a new program and fine-tuned and the feedback was, was um, very, very incredible. Yeah. So how do you build a survey that um, motivates people to share their perspectives? Because as humans, we're asked to take so many surveys. Um, So how do you create one that really gives you the information you need? I think that you can't issue too many surveys. I think that's something you have to be mindful for because I know if I'm getting a survey every two weeks or once a month, I'm going to start tuning out. It's like, I, I, what, what do you need now? Yeah. So that's something I think companies need to be mindful of is what surveys are we doing at the company? How often? What's the cadence? So I think for an, a company-wide engagement survey, I think that once a year, I'd recommend once a year to do an engagement survey because then people know we, we can also measure the results year over year. Mm-hmm. So I think that you don't want to give people survey fatigue and then you need to know what, what are we asking and why, what are we getting at? Um, and certainly you don't want to ask questions that you would never be able to work on or fix. So I think it's got to be realistic questions, questions about leadership, questions about professional development, questions about benefits, compensation. I think those are very fair questions to ask. And then I think you're alluding to maybe do employees trust that their feedback would be kept anonymous or private and that I'm actually working with a company right now where we're about to launch a survey. And that's a big question is, are employees going to trust what we're doing with the survey? So in this particular case, this is a survey that's being outsourced to a vendor. The vendor will in tandem with this, with the work group, but the vendor will build the survey. The vendor will send out the survey, receive back the survey results and then coordinate the results. So we actually won't know who said what, um, there will be qualitative field that you can answer. And I mean, you could potentially read it and say, oh, that's like, that's Jane's voice. That's something Jane would say. So you can start to do that. But I just think that that's not a good use of time. I think it's like, look, if, if it was Jane who cared, what did she say? And well, can we do anything with this feedback or not? So I think that making a survey personal is very dangerous. And that's something mm-hmm. that I do not promote is really trying to find out the who that's that's not fruitful it's like get the feedback who cares who said it can we can we fix it yeah absolutely and so I know you work with a lot of c-suite leaders on how to implement things that you know come from surveys so how do you brainstorm and um, you know how do you advocate for the survey um, for the employees based on survey responses well, it, it, like I mentioned previously, it has to start at the top. The, the leadership yeah. has to want the survey. The leadership has to want the, the questions, has to buy into the questions, the themes that we're asking. 
and has to buy into the process. It's like, oh, look, what, like I said, once we do this, we um, we owe it to the employees to share the feedback. Yeah. So there's there are a lot of different checkpoints on are we doing the right thing? Are we in integrity? Are we launching this in the right way? Are we? It, it's 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 a careful process. It really mm-hmm. is. So it's in in my role, I'm helping um, I'm helping the the leadership team understand these important checkpoints and their part in the process. And then I'm also helping by way of different communication processes, helping the employees feel like what we're doing is, is for the benefit of the company. It's where we're acting in integrity and honesty, and we're going to um, protect, you know, their responses in the best way that we can, but it's all in an effort to help make the company a better place to work. So it's, it's, um, it's not a snap of the finger An engagement survey. It does take different checkpoints to make sure everybody feels comfortable and is bought into this particular process. Yeah. So let's take, um, you know, the last few minutes we have to talk about your book. Yes. So exciting. And congratulations. Um, so tell us about it. The book I've been writing for a couple of years. It's been a labor of love, I guess you could call it. I've been writing it for a couple of years. And it's been one of those things on the vision board where the book, the book is kind of over there, kind of parked in the distance, and I I chip away at it. And I, about 18 months ago, I uh, met up with a publisher who I shared some of my stories with. And the publisher said, yeah, this this could be really interesting. I think you 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 should do it. So at that point, I thought, okay, this is no longer just a bit of a dream. This is this is a reality. I'm going yeah. to do it. So I've been working on the book. It's called A Candid Conversation. I named it A Candid Conversation because I share very candid stories about myself. And the book starts in my youth and just lessons that we learn as a kid. And growing up, we learn a lot of lessons. We're really programmed in a lot of ways. We see a lot of things and it helps shape our personality for better or for worse. So taking the lessons I learned and and then talking about how they influenced my 20s and 30s and different decisions I made there for better or for worse, (laughs) some good decisions some not good decisions. Also, my career is a through line in the book on how I got into HR and had a really beautiful journey in HR. Then how and then I left my big corporate job to come out and be a consultant to do my own thing. So the book is called A Candid Conversation because I share very open, candid candid, um, stories, but then it's called A Candid Conversation, Lessons in Life, Love, and Leadership because I touch on different areas in the book that pertain to my life in um, relationships and dissolving relationships and career and making different career choices. So I really hope that the book is one of empowerment, especially for women. I hope it's one of inspiration. I hope that women maybe see themselves in my stories and think, okay, if she can do that, I can do that. Or she did that and I kind of want to do that. So it's it's not only stories, but it's lessons and advice on some things I wish I'd known on my journey, even from being back in my youth to present day. Like what are some business things I wish I would have known coming out to be an entrepreneur, run my own business. So it's a really diverse book. I'm really um, proud of it. It's also a very vulnerable time where sometimes I wake up, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is crazy. But again, going back to service, if I can be of service to someone who reads the book, comes across it, and they find something that resonates, then that makes it all worth it to me. Then I feel like, okay, my, my, um, my courage and my risk is paying off because someone found value in, yeah. in what I shared. 
Yeah. And that was my next question too, about vulnerability, because you really, really put yourself out there. Um, So tell me about your relationship with vulnerability. Is it something that you had to force yourself to get comfortable with? Are you even comfortable with it? Uh, Let's talk about that. That's a great question. Vulnerability, I don't think is ever comfortable (laughs) for me (laughs) with this book, especially sometimes I'm sitting there, I think, right. Kate, why are you doing this? This is very vulnerable. Um, I'm in, I'm in, so the book comes out October 24th, but there's still a lot going on behind the scenes. I'm in pre-reader phase right now. I have seven people pre-reading the book. Um, one of them was a former colleague who's, who's become a friend and she just got the book yesterday and she's already texting me like, oh my gosh, like this is I like, wow. I'm so like proud of you. I'm like, I can't believe she's reading this book. Like I, you know, it's like, I, I almost want strangers. Like maybe if a stranger read the book, it wouldn't feel so vulnerable. But I thought, no, people I know will read the book and I'm, I'm okay with that. So being vulnerable is something that I think I'm practicing more and more as I, as I get older. It's not vulnerability, especially when I talk about my youth stories of playing competitive tennis. You don't want to be vulnerable. Like yeah. you don't want to like lose and feel vulnerable. You want to win and feel powerful. So learning that vulnerability is okay. It's a, it's a beautiful human feeling. And if you're feeling vulnerable about something, it probably means you're in a season of taking a chance with something or taking a risk with something or putting yourself out there, trying something new. So that's what I'm trying to tell myself is I'm in this season of, of doing something new and trying something new and putting it out there. So it's help, it's helping me stretch and grow and it, it is uncomfortable and discomfort feels not good. And I definitely have methods, which I share in the book for getting over some of the discomfort. I take many walks throughout the day to just decompress, but it's a, it's a, it's a interesting place to be vulnerability. I'm having to practice it a lot. Yeah. And I feel like as, you know, a culture, we are starting to appreciate vulnerability more and vulnerability is being rewarded and, you know, supported um, because I feel like we're in an era where we kind of just want human connection and we want to feel seen and heard. Yes. It seems like people, you know, online, social media or other places, authors, speakers, who share those stories of vulnerability are, there is, it, it just, it resonates. I think yeah. it resonates with us as humans. Like, wow, that's really, those are, those are interesting stories. I'm actually attracted to reading biographies and stories of people and, and their journey. That's something yeah. that I'm really drawn to. So those are, I, I, yeah, I, I can appreciate it. I think it is very powerful. Yeah. So the book details are very important. You said October 24th is the release. What else yeah. does everyone need to know about your book? Oh, thank you. Okay. So again, I'm Kate Walker. The book is called A Candid Conversation, Lessons in Life, Love, and Leadership. It will be out on October 24th. It's coming out on amazon.com. If you want to get on my email list to learn more about the book or get some insider information before it comes out, my website is katewalker.com. And I'm not doing a pre-release of the book. We wanted to build momentum and just have everyone be super excited on October 24th and go on Amazon and give the Amazon algorithm a really good, nice workout (laughs) on the 24th and afterward. And hopefully if the the stories sound interesting to you, you would, you would want to buy the book and check it out and share with a friend. So again, I'm really hoping to be of service with this book and I'm so appreciative that people might want to check it out on Amazon and it will be in other book other book areas, Barnes and Noble, et cetera, after the 24th, but that's where you can find it. And again, the website, katewalker.com, if you want a little more information on behind the scenes book, book news, you can uh, get on my list. 
Amazing. Thank you for sharing. So we are uh, almost a month away from release. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like I'm being launched out of a cannon. <laughs> it's really, there's a lot of behind the scenes work to do, a lot of little details. Mm-hmm. And dotting the I's, crossing the T's. As I mentioned, I'm in pre-reader phase where I've got a small group of people reading the book and I've got people giving me, you know, texting me saying, oh my gosh. So it's very, I just feel very heightened in my emotions right now, but I'm also feeling proud that I actually did it. I'm not, I didn't hold it back. I didn't say, no, I'm no, we're not going to do this. I'm going forward. And again, I've got to go forward with that service mentality in mind. Like I'm really hoping that these stories that these lessons advice impact women. So it's a very, you know, it's a season, a very big season of a lot of change and a lot of vulnerability. And that's some days I feel empowered and excited. Some days I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. What am I doing? (laughs) It's, It's a lot of, a lot of emotions. Well, thank you for being open um, about it and vulnerable. And I just appreciate our conversation so much that we've had. Um, It's been so great getting to know you, learning about your book. Um, But before we part, do you have anything that um, you would like to add or think that I missed? Good question. I would say I'm so I work as an HR consultant. So if anybody is curious about how they might work with me, certainly come over to katewalker.com and we can talk about ways we might be able to work together. And like I like we've talked about, I really just want, especially with the book coming out, just want to let women know, like, take a chance, go for it, do the thing, put yourself out there, do the thing. I think it's just, I, I think it's just such an exciting time for especially women. It's an exciting time for women. It's an exciting time to be a woman in, in career right now, a, a woman, you know, just in, in the world. So I'm just feeling really excited about that. So. I love yeah. that. What a great yeah. thing to end on. Uh, well, if you or anyone, you know, uh, is like Kate and wants to live a service led life, email me, Lindsay at staff, Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.